world of e-commerce can be tricky, and that's why you need the experts to help take you to the next level. This is Delivering E-Commerce, and this is Chris Parsons. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Delivering E-Commerce. I'm your host, Chris Parsons. I'm so excited to have today with us Dwayne Johnson, a longtime friend of mine in the industry, and he today is going to tell us about Section 321, um, I'm already lost when it comes to this, so that's why I brought in an expert, and we're looking forward to hearing about Dwayne's journey and also this exciting topic, which I believe Dwayne has said has been a hot topic in the industry for the last number of months. So let's let's get to this. Dwayne, welcome. Hey, thanks, Chris, for having me. Appreciate it. So every time I have a guest on, the first thing I ask is, you know what, everyone thinks that uh, you get to a certain level just overnight, and they, they don't know about all the struggles of the last... I mean, in our age, probably 20 years or so. So mm-hmm. I would love for you to talk about your journey in, um, well, I mean, you're impacting retail, so your journey. Yeah, yeah, and I'll give a quick overview and appreciate it. Um, so I started, I had a 15-year career at uh, Pitney Bowes. Um, you know, my last role, I started to get a bit of exposure as I was working in the U.S. and Canada to the uh, a product that some people know, the border-free product, et cetera. Um, following that career at Pitney Bowes, I went on to join a company called uh, Same Day Worldwide, which uh, did home delivery in the e-com space. So my kind of my second view of e-com. And I quickly figured out that, you know, this was obviously something that was starting to pick up traction. And, um, you know, from there uh, in 2000, May 2016, joined SCI. Um, you know, SCI was... Uh, was doing well in retail, but saw a big shift in the e-com space. And, uh, you know, and since 2016, been, uh, you know, been working at SCI, running the retail vertical and, uh, you know, and, and helping out retailers shift to e-com as well as, uh, you know, global retailers come to Canada. Let's get right into this. What is Section 321? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Section 321, I think uh, everybody somewhat gets scared of Section 321, but in its simplistic form, because I Googled it, I got the proper terminology. But really what it is, is allowing U.S. consumers to buy from a Canadian or Canadian setup retailer and go duty free into the U.S. under the $800 de minimis level. So if you think about any retailer that is a Canadian retailer, that wanted to turn on uh, and and sell to the U.S. because if you think about it, Canada's 36 odd million and the U.S. is 380 million. So simply turn on the website, do the proper marketing into those channels in the U.S. And as long as the order is under $800, you don't pay duties going into the U.S. On the flip side, what we're also seeing is a lot of U.S. e-com companies that have grown to a scale are looking to um, a better way to possibly uh, remove tariffs and duties. So instead of going into the U.S., they're actually coming right into Canada, setting up in Canada and shipping all their product into the U.S. and and benefiting from the duties and tariff uh, uh, discounts. How do Canadians specifically take take advantage of this um, this section? Yeah, so if you think about it today, if you're a Canadian retailer, <clears throat> you'll bring products in, you'll pay a duty on those products, you'll bring them into, you know, a warehouse, etc. You'll ship them domestically, <clears throat> and you've paid a tariff, right? 
So then what would happen is that Canadian retailer would essentially open up a .com or at least open up shipping alternatives to the U.S. consumers. So that's, you know, and then you would obviously have to set up with a U.S. shipper or consolidator, which if you think about our demographics, you would possibly set up in Vancouver or Toronto and, you know, you're a half an hour from Blaine or you're 90 minutes from Buffalo. So it's not as difficult as people uh, think it is. We started this journey probably about 18 months ago. And today, um, you know, we're sending you know five plus truckloads into the U.S. Um, of all destined U.S. consumers and, and those retailers benefiting from the shipping into the U.S., the last piece is around the duties and tariffs. Um, you know, if you're a Canadian retailer and you ship that order into the U.S., you also could do a, a duty reverse, duty drawback would allow you to get back those duties that you paid on that specific order to that U.S. retailer. So it's number one, it's opening up international or U.S.-based customers, which is a 10 times the size of market in Canada. And number two is it's a pure cost takeout and, and it allows the retailers, the third point would be turn inventory faster. And we all know how retailers like to turn inventory quick. Basically what would uh, be a big benefit is I open up a, a, another DC in the Vancouver market. Um, I'm shipping probably just as quickly as across Canada into say, California from, from Vancouver. Yep. And now all of a sudden I tap into that, what, what are they, close to 40 million people in, in yep. California now. And uh, open up. I mean, forget the whole U.S. If I just focused on one state, I've now doubled my my market size from a Canadian retailer perspective. Correct. So if you think about it, if you have an order today that you know you pick and pack, and it goes, the consolidators would pick it up today, and it's actually in the mail stream in the U.S. tonight. So those trucks or those those partners are obviously consolidating U.S.-based parcels every every day into the US. So there's no there's no uh, degradation on the transit times in the US. Um, and there's also with some of the customers we've seen now, and some of our partners, they're actually driving it farther into the US. So example, they used to drive it into Buffalo. Now they're driving it into, you know, Columbus, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Seattle. So they're getting it farther into the mail stream. So um, you know the transit times actually could be faster based on where their current model is coming from. I'm sure there's some restrictions around what types of items qualify. Yeah, I mean, I think it all drives out from the HS codes that, that customers have on their products. So, you know, first and foremost, is we have a conversation with a customer, the big trends are no secret apparel, footwear, textiles, cosmetics, um, you know, uh, housewares, uh, sporting goods, um, we're even now seeing a food trend. So if you think about some customers who might send food, that has an FDA regulation in it and a whole other process. But it's it's really, um, you have to do the due diligence up front. And that's what we do with some of our customers. And we actually have an automation process where we validate the HS codes. Then we kind of do a qualification by what the duty would be what the duty drawback savings would be. And then what happens is then, you know, when we get the order and, and then we have a validation on the outbound order with our WMS that we give to the consolidators, which they it's all electronically processed, Chris, that 
um, then when they hit the border, that's all checked off and, and moved through the mail queue. A retailer standpoint, is there a process that they work with you to declare and make sure the paperwork is correct? Yeah. So, yeah, and one of the one of the big ones we've seen there is I'll go back to the U.S. e-com companies. They're all recognizing very quickly the cost savings, which is can be millions and millions of dollars based on some of the tariffs in the U.S., which could be 31 odd percent, you know, and then they're paying, you know, if they're coming out of Vietnam into Canada, zero, right? So the point is we kind of, we, we will do the, the duty drawback and duty um, clearance for the customers because I think everybody wants the opportunity to expand. Number two, wants to validate the cost removal. And number three, you know, which is probably the most important, get a new customer, right? Because once you got that customer in the U.S. and then how do you market to them, you know, to kind of drive additional revenue or cross-sell them. Right? Canada must become very attractive, right? <laughs> like their, their dollar's still stronger, more <clears> than <throat> 20% gain from a shopping spend there that way. Yep. And then also with this duty uh, where you get to spend about $800 on yep. uh, and not, not get charged, uh, it's actually a direction that the U.S. market would actually look towards Canadian retailers then uh, to uh, to buy their goods. And that's funny because historically, it's always the other way around. Canadians are looking for that assortment, um, that breadth and depth of assortment in the U.S. And even with the additional <coughs> cost on on a dollar, you're still you're still willing to shop there. Um, right. I know certain states have some <coughs> tax benefits, like Pennsylvania, and that's why it's so um, customer friendly from a from a Canadian perspective. But this is this is actually rethinking uh, e-commerce when it's the reverse. So um, that's exciting to hear. What what are some of the best practices that uh, people are already um, sharing with you, or you're sharing with them because you know it better than anybody? You know, I think first and foremost is some you know a lot of the e-com you know whether it's U.S. based or Canadian based you know recognize the new market, recognize the way to take the cost out of the business and. I mean, we all know how stretched retail is, you know, through the pandemic, et cetera. And I think what customers have to or retailers or e-tailers have to do is kind of take a bit of a risk on this one because the benefits outweigh the risk if you do the proper steps. And I'd mentioned it through getting the HS codes correct, understanding the process, understanding the duties. We've actually even seen now with some of the, you know, I would say mid-market 20 to 30 to $40 million e-com companies where we're actually going back to origin and validating the, the duties that they're paying because sometimes they have an agent that could be doing the sourcing for them. And we've actually taken cost at that point out of the business as well because they should only be paying a certain duty and, and it's being marked up multiple times. So you know, understanding that the best practice is this isn't, you know, people think, I think when we first started at Chris, people all thought this was some loophole, right? But, you know, every customer that has that conversation, we actually send them to the custom U.S. Customs website and there's a 1-800 line that people can call. And, you know, and lo and behold, they call us back and they say, oh, this is great. I would say weekly, not if every other day, we're talking to customers about this because I believe it's 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 a possible unicorn in the business because not everybody's doing it. Um, but you know, if you look at uh, our biggest competitor in this space in Canada, is actually Mexico. 
So because the U.S. e-com providers can go into Mexico in a in a similar but different way, um, and they're actually going in at a cheaper labor rate. So best practices are you you, you got to investigate this because there's money and opportunity. Um, but we're seeing a whole other set of competition, I guess. And I never thought I'd be competing with Mexico being a Canadian owned and operated 3PL. SCI is a third party logistics center. Um, you guys offer, you know, retailers an opportunity not to set up a, their own DC and warehouse. And, and um, you basically, they send their goods to an SCI and you guys take care of the pick pack and ship. And I know I'm simplifying this, so I'll let you explain it better than I am. Yeah, it's easy, right? You just put stuff in boxes. Um, you know, we, we've been in the business for, you know, north of 20 years in retail. And to your point, right, we've 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 done a, you know, a pretty good job over the years and growing the business to, you know, it's all public. So 350 odd million dollars. But the but the point is, we soon realized pre pandemic <clears throat> that we needed to you know, we had done a really good job marketing to Canadian retailers and we needed to find something new, a different topic to bring to the market because we do a whole host of and warehouse and returns and white glove and all those good things. But we needed to find a new market. We needed to find a new set of customers. And so we stumbled across 321. And, you know, and, and today you know, 18 to 24 months into it, you know, we're launching, you know, a customer probably every month in this space. Um, and these can be Canadian retailers, Chris, or, you know, we have launched a couple of U.S. retailers um, that have come into Canada and shipped solely into the U.S. but turned on Canada. So we think this is a, uh, you know, is a great opportunity as we continue to look at different services for different companies. E-commerce has obviously exploded, especially during COVID. Um, where do you think e-commerce is going to be in the next two, three years? How do you see that trend continuing? Does it, does it pull back a little bit or um, based on everyone investing into third-party logistics centers, logistics, does it yeah. even build momentum? You know, I think we're, we're as retailers and we support retail, I think where is e-com going to go? I don't think anybody knows. I think the growth we've seen you know, we obviously have all been sitting home for 14 months, and I think that's driven e-com. I think there's still going to be a place for the store. I think it still has access. You know, I mean, if you need to try on a new pair of shoes or a new pair of pants or a tie and you need someone to help you, there's still going to be a service there. Um, you, you know, I think I think the successful retailers will, can, you know, Section 321 is here today. But what's after that, you know, and we've been asked by a couple of customers, can we ship to Australia? Well, we can because we have a provider that can help us with that. Can you ship to Europe? You know, um, so I think, you know, what's going to happen is retailers are going to set up a warehouse wherever. I think supply chain is going to become more complex because customers are continuing to demand speed, efficiency and price. And, uh, you know, I think it's just going to be, you know, you and I can start an e-com warehouse here in Toronto and we can ship anywhere around the, around the world and, and people want their local currency. Um, and I think that's where it's going to go. Um, probably not in the short term, but that's what I think will, will, it'll look like sooner rather than later. I'm dying to get back to the retail stores. I love fashion and um, I, I can't wait to go and try on some clothes and just 
experience that part of retail versus getting my clothes online and having it come home and seeing that I've had the COVID weight put on and now that medium is no longer fitting properly. So uh, I'm looking forward to um, that pent up demand of getting out and just we're all so social and having that social experience is is going to be a relief for everyone as well. I think, um, but I do think e-commerce has found a new place and I think it's that whole hybrid of buy online, pick up in store, the being able to research and you know, you, you decide as a shopper, I call them the blended shopper. You decide on any given day how you're going to shop with a retailer, whether it's through your mobile device, your desktop, your tablet, in store. Um, and you may use a combination of all of those things before you make your purchase decision. So yep. I, I think e-commerce, we just we need to dial in from a personalization and a persona perspective a little bit more. But logistics, I mean, that's where it is right now. I, I probably posted four articles in the last number of days where retailers are, are making some significant investments in their logistics centers, automation or partnering with with an SCI um, to take that out of their their hands because they don't have the skill set or expertise and they just want to hand it to the pros. So, I mean, Dwayne, thank you for doing this, but um, yeah. I want to give everyone the opportunity to reach out to you. Where where can they connect? Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously, and uh, people, they want to reach out to me via phone, um, you know, 416-400-8292. And my email is uh, Dwayne.Johnson, just like the movie star, at, uh, at sci.ca. And, uh, you know, I think I'd leave this is that, you know, retailers are challenged. Um, you know, if you have any questions on 321, we would uh, be more than happy. To Thanks, Wayne. Really appreciate it. This was a quick quick episode but wanted to make sure we had this hot topic on here and we'll uh, we'll have you back on here i want to do a deep dive into third-party logistics the pros and cons of that versus um versus a retailer trying to invest and manage it themselves i think it's definitely a hybrid role and we can get into the discussions on where where it benefits so i'll uh, look forward to getting you back on to delivering e-commerce to have that dialogue so thank you my friend i appreciate it thanks chris take care You've been listening to Delivering E-Commerce. It's our passion to have on leaders and suppliers in e-commerce from around the globe, setting you and your strategy up for the next level. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with Chris on LinkedIn at Chris Parsons. On YouTube at Chris Parsons Delivering E-Commerce. And on Twitch at Chris Parsons 1976. Till next time, this is Delivering E-Commerce.